Be sure to tune into Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, The Seattle Times, and much, much more. On her new radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues, as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration laws or are notable immigrants themselves. Check out her new show, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., Immigration with Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 a.m., radio that listens to you. Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on a beautiful Tuesday morning. Well, it is a bit cloudy, but it's not raining. Um, And that's what I've been saying all morning because it was hard to wake up. And I don't know about you, but it was um, tough to get the kids out of bed today, too. Um, I hope summer comes back very soon. Um, So let's talk about immigration. There's just so much to talk about, but we should have a really wonderful guest joining us soon. Um, But until she joins us, let's talk about some news updates. If you have questions, comments, feedback, you can call us at 844-301-1250. Um, If you have questions about immigration law, about yourselves, about family members, about policy, any questions are welcome. Uh, So feel free. Stump me if you can. Um, So let's talk about some immigration issues. Uh, We know from the news uh, that Trump's wife has been um, questioned on her immigration status. And of course, that's interesting because uh, Donald Trump is so anti-immigration. He wants to build a wall. He wants to um, do so much to ban immigrants and people of minorities' uh, backgrounds. So her immigration background is actually rather important, I'd say. We don't know, and it, who knows if it will lead to some fraud investigations, but um, that's, that's to be seen. Uh, in other news, uh, the USCIS had published some um, new policy uh, rules about provisional waivers, and that news will be discussed quite in detail next week, so I hope you will join. And in fact, it's very, very important for for people who are undocumented in the U.S. or people who have lost status and cannot get their green cards, the process for provisional waivers um, has been favorably changed uh, so that a lot more people can be eligible to to utilize it. So more to come on that next week. I hope you will join. If you have questions about any of those, you can you can email us uh, or call us, of course. And the email address for, for my firm is info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. The provisional waivers really will impact a lot of our Desi community folks. So stay tuned. So today we have a really, really awesome guest and I cannot wait for you to actually listen to her speak uh, and for it's, it's a wonderful honor for her to join us on Desi 1250. Today's guest is a notable person making a huge impact on immigration law, immigra- immigrant lives, and so much more. Her name is Tanzila Taz Ahmed. Um, she's known, she goes by Taz. Tanzila Ahmed is an activist, storyteller, and politico based in Los Angeles. An electoral organizer by trade, she's mobilized thousands of Asian American and Pacific Islanders to the polls in over 17 different languages in the past 15 years at various non 
non-profit organizations, starting with founding South Asian American Voting Youth in 2004. She currently is a campaign strategist at the Asian American New Media Organizing Group 18 Million Rising. In 2016, Taz was honored as a White House Champion of Change for Asian American and Pacific Islander Art and Storytelling. She is co-host of the wonderful, wonderful podcast called Good Muslim, Bad Muslim that has been featured in Oprah Magazine, um, the Oprah Magazine, Wired, BuzzFeed, as well as live show recording at South by Southwest and the White House. She has done so much more. I could go on and on and on about it, but I would love for you to just go to our blog and learn more about her and her actions and activities. She is an amazing voice for immigrants and minority communities in the U.S. Taz, are you there? I am here. Thank well, you for that wonderful intro. Of course. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I feel so cool that you're here. I feel like your, 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 your co-host should be here, too. <laughs> Love listening to yeah, your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, Thank Taz, you. before I ask you lots and lots of questions, I want to say well done for all the things that you are doing. And one of the things that I've been trying to do with this show is highlight notable Bangladeshi or Bengali personnel who are making such a huge impact in uh, in America. And you are certainly one of those. So thank you oh, for thank you. putting Bangladeshis on the map. <laughs> uh, and well, well done. on this list. That sounds amazing. Well, well, I'm working on it. But you're, you're here. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful. So, you know, our listeners may not know much about you. So let's assume they don't. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, I, um, I'm from Southern California, was born and raised here. Um, I ended up going into doing work in the South Asian community right after uh, 9-11 happened. Um, started up an organization, got really involved in electoral politics, so that's kind of where I've been for many, many years. And while I was doing electoral politics, I started a parallel path doing counter-narratives for the South Asian community through various projects. So that's that's kind of me. That's, I'm, I'm a mishmash of a lot of things. Well, you know, you do a lot of, you, you're not just election, not just voting. You write music, poetry, you are an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I didn't actually read the, the long list of things that you actually have done because it will eat into the minutes I have with you. <laughs> um, but you, tell us a little bit about the Mishti Music and Beats for Bangladesh. Yeah, Mishti Music is a site that we started. It's me and my friend, Natasha. We started it to profile South Asian American musicians in the U.S. Um, One of the things that was happening when I was growing up was I was really fascinated with uh, brown people making music, but the only people that I was able to find any information on was, you know, artists from India or artists from South Asia. And I was really fascinated with the the hyphenated American experience. So um, I used to write on a blog called Sepia Mutiny, which was the largest South Asian American blog. From 2000, I would say from 2004, and we shut our doors in 2012. So when I was writing on that site, I would do these uh, Music Mondays where uh, I would share music that I liked from from the diaspora. And I I tended towards rock music, punk, um, emo, rap, um, just super eclectic. And I would feature the songs on my Music Mondays. So we started Mishti Music 
Amish Music has turned into this like space where we can share music now daily by various South Asian American artists. And I think it's really amazing and awesome because we're in this project. What we're able to do is we're really able to recenter the story around what it means to be South Asian American culturally and musically as well. That's fantastic. And that's been pretty awesome. Fantastic. And Be for Bangladesh uh, was an album that we released after the Rana Plaza collapse. Um, in 2013, uh, almost 1,300 people died in that. A lot of the people that survived were the orphans of these women who were working in the factories. So we got together our South Asian American musician friends. Most of them were not Bangladeshi. Most of them were, um, uh, it was kind of a, a wide range of musicians. So they all donated tracks and um, it was a really quick turnaround, so we had the project up within eight weeks. Wow, that's and fast. we raised money. Yeah, we raised money for the orphans, and it was it was great. It was, I think, what was great is that so often Bangladeshi uh, tragedies get lost in the media because they're not Indian, right? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like the Indian ones are the ones that get higher profile in the South Asian community, and we were able to um, remind people that this was an issue. We were able to fundraise, and we were able to work with a wide range of South Asians to work on a Bangladeshi issue, which is, is actually pretty hard to do mm-hmm. and pretty rare. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty amazing. So if and, any of... Uh, we're working on a... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, if our listeners wanted to find this, this, this record, how would they find that? Yeah, we sold it completely online. So it was on Bandcamp. So you can go to beatsforbangladesh.org. And it should direct you directly to our band camp. Wonderful. We don't have the album downloadable anymore, but the tracks are all there. And all the music is available. Fantastic. In, in different spaces. Fantastic. Well, um, you're doing a lot with, uh, you know, this is the, the, the perfect audience, actually, to listen to what you're doing because it affects all of us in, in, so profoundly. Um, the Desi South, uh, uh, 1250 AM is the first South Asian radio station in Seattle, Tacoma, uh, in Seattle, Washington, but it spreads across to Tacoma. And uh, we've not had this ki- kind of communication before, con- connecting all of us together. So what you are mm-hmm. doing really does profoundly affect all of us. And we, I think we can learn from you uh, but from what you're doing, so your background was here. Uh, how did how did your experiences? Um, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time, so if you can very concisely tell us, how did your experience affect your work today? Because what you're doing is mobilizing the community in many ways that people have not done before. So tell us how that happened. Yeah. So, so I wanted to save the world. <laughs> how it started. And I thought I was going to do it through environmental organizing. So I worked for this organization that would train young students on how to build political power. And that was when I was living in D.C. And three months after I moved to D.C., I was 21 at the time, that's when 9-11 happened. And it really shook up me personally, being a, a Muslim Bangladeshi, you know, living in D.C. while my family was out here in L.A. And I was. I spent two years in this organization working to build up political power for white environmental kids. And the, while that was happening, I saw racial profiling and all this stuff happening against brown communities. So in 2004, I started an organization uh, called South Asian American Voting Youth to build up political power for the South Asian community. Why is that I important? Now there's a lot. Why is that important? Well, I mean, 
it was particularly important back then because no one was doing it. No one was um, pushing for for our communities to have political power. I think what's so great now is that in, since 9-11 in the past 15 years, there's been this increase in South Asian organizing going on, people doing voter registration campaigns, people doing advocacy. Now there's multiple ways to get involved. Back then in that time, no one was there was really no place, no starting point for our community to have any sort of a, a power. So when I was starting this work, electoral work was kind of the, the first step needed before you can move forward. Now I think there's like multiple ways that you can get involved with organizing the South Asian and Muslim community to have power. Wonderful. But at the time it was really wonderful that, that was really needed pioneering so how um how does 18 million rising uh, come into it tell us a little bit about that yeah so 18 million rising is an online organizing space for the asian american community um i've just started here in october i'm really excited because this organization in this organization i'm able to pull together all my online and electoral experiences and all my narrative and creative experiences into one one organization. And what's really great about the work that we're doing at 18 Million Rising is that we understand that there's concrete organizing that needs to be done. We need to get people out to vote. We need to win campaigns. We need to push for petitions to get signed and advocacy wins to happen. But we also really believe in culture shifting in the community. So there's a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, a cultural work that we're doing through our organization, which has been a lot of fun, and cultural online work. So that's been great. That's and then, uh, in addition to the Beats for Bangladesh album that I put out with 18 Million Rising, we're putting out another album this fall. Hmm. Um, it's going to be called Voices of Our Vote. And this album is going to be featuring at least 27, mus- I think we have right now 27 Asian American musicians. And it's an album where we're really trying to encourage the Asian American community to go out and get engaged in the political process. And we're hoping that through these musical tracks, we'll be able to shift um, people's consciousness and get them engaged. Well, that's wonderful. I can't wait to, to learn more about that. When it comes out, will you please let me know so I can spread the word? Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah, it should be coming out September 6th. September 6th. Okay, yeah. well, you know, I yeah. will make sure that it's posted because that's partly what this show is about. It's really trying to engage our community in a way that um, our community typically is not as engaged as it should be, and which is why your work is was just, just so important. Tell us why our vote, the South Asian vote, matters. Yeah, I mean, our vote matters because we are a part of American society. And if we want to have be recognized in any sort of way, we need to be involved with, with electoral engagement, especially with everything that's going on in the presidential campaign right now. You, you, you know, had you have this demagogue of a presidential candidate who's really whose rhetoric is really um inciting hate and violence in the community against people that look like us, against people that are Muslim perceived. And I think that's one of the interesting things about um, all the fear mongering that's happening is you don't necessarily need to be Muslim for fear to be put on you. You have to be perceived as Muslim. So anyways, we're, we're living in this particularly Islamophobic time where people who are brown are experiencing an increase in hate, unlike, unlike what happened 
like I feel like the what we're experiencing now is a lot different than what we experienced right after 9/11. Like the the state of the world is just um, not on not on our side. So I think that particularly is a huge reason why we need to get involved in politics and why we need to register to vote and get out to vote because we need to show that our community matters, that we do have political significance, and that things like this can't be done against us. Well, well said. Um, I think what listeners should take from that is it's not just being a Muslim, it's the perception of being a Muslim is is dangerous by itself. So whether you are Muslim or not, the fact that you are perhaps brown or perhaps have, um, you know, some sort of head, um, you know, covering, it, it could make you mm-hmm. be perceived to be Muslim and therefore you are a target of hatred and an insightful behavior. So we need to, basically you're saying we need to take charge. So, yeah, we absolutely need to take charge. So that brings me to your podcast. It's an amazing podcast. And for listeners who don't know it, it's called The Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. And you are covering such interesting topics, sex with gin, you know, wax off. I mean, I mean, there's just so many interesting titles that you have too. Uh, uh, How did this come about? Because it's not something that's generally talked about in the way you are doing it, but you're putting it in mainstream so people are not scared, I think, what Islam really is. Tell us more about it. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. I think, I mean, really what happened is Zara and I met when we were on book tour for the Love and Shala book, which is a book that we're in, it's, um, you know, The Secret Love Lives of American Muslim Women. And we would go on these book to- tours and we would just have a lot of fun having, being in conversation. We'd talk to each other about, uh, well, like, we could, we could start from a point where we didn't need to explain who we were to each other. We could start from a point where we could just have this cultural sameness that we could start from but we were also so different like she grew up in a Shia household I grew up in a Sunni household she's Persian and Muslim she's a lot fairer than I am so her experience growing up in America is a lot different than mine so we also have a lot of differences too so anyways we would start joking around and on Twitter we would jokingly use the hashtag good Muslim bad Muslim to talk about um, like like a jokey podcast and we'd bring up some 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 ironic jokey thing about maybe like a, a, a burqa bikini or something like that. And then all of our followers were asking us where they could listen to this podcast and we were just joking and so then after a while we were like maybe we should make this a real thing because it looks like we, we have an audience that's interested in this. So um, we decided to do this podcast. It took us a while to get it off the ground um, and um, yeah, it's been around for two years and we're really proud of it. We're really excited about everything we've been able to do with it. We like to consider our podcast as if it's just me and Zara having a conversation and other people are kind of eavesdropping in, in on this conversation. And people have been asking us, I was just on the panel this weekend about comedy comedy and how our podcast is a comedy podcast. But I don't really see it as a comedy podcast because I'm not a comedian. Um, Zara is a comedian. Um, but I think it's just when you're de- dealing with the absurdity of the world, comedy is one of the best ways to to kind of push back and deal with it. So that's that's kind of the, the tone of our podcast. And you were asking about what topics we covered. I think one of the interesting things is that a lot of the topics that Zara and I cover are not just, like, there's the conversations we have internally with each other, but then in in our conversations we realize that there's more things we want to explore. So, um, so the conversation about body hair, I knew that like I was having some conversations with a lot of my friends one-on-one about 
what we are raised with to think of about body hair, and I really wanted to explore that further on our on our podcast. So we ended up doing a little bit of research and having that conversation, which was actually one of my favorite episodes to record. It really is so fabulous because you know. I think, partic- I don't know about other cultures, but in the Bangladeshi community, at least in our household, these are things you don't generally talk about. And you don't yeah. typically, you know, I mean, I'm interested in seeing what your family <laughs> thinks of your podcast, <laughs> you know, um, but my, you know, what do you, it's not something we talk about generally. So it's interesting to have these yeah. out in the open when they would traditionally be considered taboo and you're really bringing it out in the open, like what we need to know about this. You know, why, why is this something that we shouldn't talk about? Because we need to. It's been addressed in Islam, just like everything else. And yeah. it, I think that's the thing that a lot of us perhaps don't even know it's been addressed to that degree. Um, so you're doing an amazing job. And I think you've put Muslims right out there, you know, with this podcast. And, I, you know, I think I love what you have done and how you, it comes across and all the, the very interesting subject matters that you're covering. It's in, so tell us about the, uh, moving on very quickly, uh, and I, you know, I wanted to say segue <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, tell us about the White House experience. Yeah, the White House experience was super surreal. Um, I uh, got an award from the White House in um a Champion of Change Award in Art and Storytelling. And I think what was the most surreal about it was that, you know, I didn't get a degree in Art and Storytelling. I got a degree in, I have a Master's in Public Policy. So my degree is definitely in the world of politics. And I would always use my art and storytelling as a way to push for, you know, activist issues that I saw happening in the world. And I think it, it was really surreal to be recognized for that. Particularly because, you know, the the White House, I have like a love and hate relationship with the White House because because they've done some really terrible things things for the immigrant community. At the same time, um, I, I haven't hidden any of that. So we actually do talk about the White House a lot, the administration a lot on our podcast. And then to get an award on top of that, I think is um, is actually how how civic engagement should be. We should be holding our electeds accountable. And they should be recognizing that. And in addition to that, like to get recognized for that, it was really amazing. So um, that that was really awesome. And then I ended up going back a few weeks ago for the White House Eid party that they just oh, had. Oh, I saw that on Facebook. Together. That looked really fun. Yeah, it was really fun. They brought together 500 people from the Muslim community. Our Olympic star, the huge Mohammed, was there. And they super fangirled over that. And all these other people who I probably... Would have been if everyone had like labels on them. No one had name tags, so I, I mean, oh, there's not going to places and names. Um, but I mean, that was super surreal because that was the same night that Trump was at the RNC um, giving his speech. So while Trump was at the RNC giving his speech, you know, we had a White House full of Muslims. Wow! Um, so wow! That was, That's... That that in itself itself was such a radical political act. I thought yeah. Was part of that. Well, Taz, it's just been such an honor. You know, you are a pride of the Bangladeshi community, if you didn't know that. Oh, thanks. Uh, of course. And I hope our listeners um, really paid attention to what you're doing. We could talk all day, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. But I think what pe- listeners should really take away from you is you've got to take action. 
And, you know, if we do not voice our opinions, then nobody else will. So being part of this engagement and the civic uh, engagement is very, very important. And I think what they should learn from you is that we should go out and vote. Right? Yes. They should all absolutely go and vote and make art and make change. Yeah, make art and make change. Coming from Taz. Thank you so much, Taz. We're running out of time. I'm so grateful you joined us today. And I hope we can stay in touch. And I hope you continue to do all the work that you're doing and inspire the rest of us. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. No problem. Bye. Well, listeners, that was Tanzila Ahmed Taz from Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. I hope you learned lots from her about her experiences and what she's doing. And I think the key is that you just cannot sit back uh, and wait for somebody else to do something. We are running out of time, I'm afraid. I look forward to speaking with you next week on Tuesday and talk about news updates on provisional waivers, um, Republican Republican can, um, politicians who are going to be voting for Hillary who support immigration reform. Uh, I hope you will join us for that. You can call to the show 844-301-1250 or info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This is Tamina on Desi 1250 AM.